You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello and welcome to Security Unlocked, a new podcast from Microsoft where we unlock insights from the latest in news and research from across Microsoft's security engineering and operations teams. I'm Nick Fillingham. And I'm Natalia Gadilla. In each episode, we'll discuss the latest stories from Microsoft security, deep dive into the newest threat intel, research, and data science. And profile some of the fascinating people working on artificial intelligence in Microsoft security. And now, let's unlock the pod. Hello, the internet. Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 28 of Security Unlocked. Nick and Natalia back with you once again for a a regular uh, episode of the podcast. Natalia, how are you? Hi, Nick. I'm doing well. I'm stoked to have Emily Hacker, a threat analyst at Microsoft, back on the show today. Yes, Emily is back on the podcast discussing a blog that she co-authored with Justin Carroll, another return champ here on the podcast called Investigating a Unique Form of email delivery for iced ID malware. The emphasis on form was uh, due to the sort of wordplay there. That's from April 9th. Natalia, TLDR here. What's what, what's Emily talking about in this blog? In this blog, she's talking about how attackers are delivering iced ID malware through websites' contact submission forms by impersonating artists who claim that the companies use their artwork illegally. It's a new take targeting the person managing the submission form. Yeah, it's fascinating. The attackers here don't need to go and, you know, buy or steal email lists. They don't need to spin up, uh, you know, any email infrastructure or get access to botnets. They're, they're really just finding websites that have a contact us form. Many do. And they are evading capture here. And we talk about that with, with, with uh, Emily about they're somehow getting around the, the capture technology to try and weed out automation, but they are getting around that, which is sort of an interesting part of the conversation. Before we get into that conversation, though, a reminder to Security Unlock listeners that we have a new podcast. We just launched a new podcast in partnership with the CyberWire. It is Security Unlocked CISO series with Brett Arsenault. Brett Arsenault is the Chief Information Security Officer, the CISO for Microsoft, And we've partnered with him and his team, uh, as well as the CyberWire, to create a brand new podcast series where Brett gets to chat with security and technology leaders at Microsoft, as well as some of his CISO peers across the industry. Fantastic conversations into some of the biggest challenges in cybersecurity today, some of the strategies that these big big organizations are, are undertaking, including Microsoft, and some practical guidance that really is going to mirror the things that are being done by security teams here at Microsoft and at some of Microsoft's biggest customers. So I urge you all to uh, go check that one out. You can find it at the CyberWire. You can also go to www.securityunlockedcisoseries.com and that's CISO as in C-I-S-O, CISO or CISO if you're across the pond, securityunlockedcisoseries.com. But for now, on with the pod. On with the pod. Welcome back to the Security Unlocked podcast, Emily Hacker. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me again. Emily, you are uh, coming back to the podcast. You're a returning champion. Uh, This is, I think, your your second appearance. And you're here on behalf of your colleague, uh, Justin Carroll, who has has also been on multiple times. The two of you collaborated on a blog post from April the 9th, 2021, called Investigating a Unique Form, (laughs) in uh, quotation marks, form of email delivery for iced ID malware. The form bit is a pun, is a play on words, 
Mm-hmm. Is it not? Oh, it definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I picked up on that, which is a, you know, a fascinating uh, campaign that you've uncovered, the two of you uncovered and you wrote about in the blog post. Before we jump into that, quick recap, please, if you could just sort of reintroduce yourself to the audience. Uh, wh- what do you do? What's your day-to-day look like? Who do you work with? Yeah, definitely. So I am a threat intelligence analyst and I'm on the threat intelligence global engagement and response team here at Microsoft. And I am specifically focused on mostly email-based threats. And as you mentioned on this blog, I collaborated with my coworker, Justin Carroll, who is more specifically focused on endpoint threats, which is why we collaborated on this particular blog and this particular investigation, because it has both aspects. So I spend a lot of my time investigating both credential phishing, but also malicious emails that are delivering malware, such as the ones in this case, and also business email compromise type scam emails. Got it. And so readers of the Microsoft Security blog, listeners of Security Unlocked podcast will know that on a regular basis, your team and then other uh, threat intelligence teams from across Microsoft will publish their findings of, of new campaigns and new techniques on the blog. And then we, we try and bring those authors onto the podcast to tell us about what they've found. That's what's happened in this blog. Um, the two of you uncovered a new, a unique way of attackers to deliver the iced ID malware. Can you walk us through this this campaign and this technique that you, you both uncovered? Yeah, definitely. So this one was really fun because, as I mentioned, it involved both email and endpoint. So this one was As you mentioned, it was delivering iced ID. So we initially found the iced ID on the endpoint and looking at how this was getting onto various endpoints, we identified that it was coming from Outlook, which means it's coming from email. So we can't see too much in terms of the email itself from the endpoint. We can just see that it came from Outlook. But given the network connections that the affected machines were making directly after accessing Outlook, I was able to find the emails in our system that contains emails that have been submitted by users as either reported to junk or reported as fish or reported as a false positive if they think it's not a fish. And so that's where I was actually able to see the email itself and determine that there was some nefarious activity going on here. So the emails in this case were Really interesting in that they're not actually the attacker sending an email to a victim, which is what we normally see. So normally the attacker will either, you know, compromise a bunch of senders and send out emails that way, which is what we've seen a lot in a lot of other malware, or they'll create their own attacker infrastructure and send emails directly that way. In this case, the attackers were abusing the contact forms on the website. So if you are visiting a company's website and you're trying to contact them, a lot of times they're not going to just have a page where they offer up their emails or their phone numbers and you have to fill in that form, which feels like it goes into the void sometimes and you don't actually know who it went to. In this case, the the attackers were abusing hundreds of these contact forms, not just targeting any specific company. And another thing that was unique about this is that for some of the affected companies that we had observed, I went and looked at their websites and their contact form does require a CAPTCHA. So it does appear that the attackers in this case have automated the filling out of these contact forms and that they've automated a way around these CAPTCHAs, just given the the, the sheer volume of these emails I'm seeing. This is a good way of doing this because for the attacker, this is a much more 
high fidelity method of contacting these companies because they don't have to worry about having an incorrect email address if they have gotten a list off of like pastebin or a list you know they purchased a list perhaps from another criminal a lot of times in those cases if they're emailing directly there's going to be some some false emails in those lists that just don't get delivered with the contact form they're designed to be delivered so it's going to give the attacker a higher chance of success in terms of being delivered to a real inbox. And so when we talk about the progression of the attack, they're automating this process of submitting to these contact forms. What are they submitting in the form? What is the and what is the end goal? So there's malware somewhere in Mm -hmm. their response. What next? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the emails or rather the contact form submissions themselves, they're all containing a, a lure. So the, the contents of themselves are a lure that the attacker is pretending to be a um, artist, a photographer, an illustrator, something along those lines. There's a, a handful of different jobs that they're pretending to be. And they are claiming that the company that they are contacting has used an image that belongs to the artist illustrator, photographer, on their website without permission. And so the attacker is saying, you used my art without permission. I'm going to sue you if you don't take this down. If you want to know what art I'm talking about, click on this link and it'll show you the exact art that I'm talking about or the exact photo, what have you. All of the emails were virtually identical in terms of the content and the lore. The attacker was using a bunch of different fake emails. So when you fill out a contact form, you have to put your email so that the, the company can contact you, I guess, in reply if they need to. And the attackers, almost every single email that I looked at had a different fake attacker email, but they did all follow a really consistent pattern in terms of the the name Mel and variations on the name. So they had like Melanie, I saw like Melina, like I said, there was hundreds of them. So the email would be Mel and then something relating to photography or illustration or art. Just to add a little bit more credence, I think, to their to their lore, it made it look like the email address was actually associated with a real photographer. The, the attacker had no need to actually register or create any of those emails because they weren't sending from those emails. They were sending from the contact form. So it made it a lot easier for the attacker to appear legitimate without having to go through the trouble of creating legitimate emails. And then the um, the email itself, from the recipient's view, would appear, other than the fact that it felt fishy, at least to me, but you know, I literally do this for a living, so maybe just everything feels fishy to me. <laughs> other than that, the email itself is going to appear totally legitimate because... Since it's coming through the contact form, it's not going to be from an email address they don't recognize because a lot of times these contact forms are set up in a way where it'll send from the recipient's domain. So for example, a contact form, I don't know if this is how this works, but just as an example, at Microsoft might actually send from Microsoft.com or the other large percentage of these that I saw were sent from the contact form hosting provider. So there are a lot of providers that host this kind of content for companies. And so the emails would be coming from those known email addresses. And the emails themselves are going to contain all the expected fields. All in all, it's basically a legitimate email other than the fact that it's malicious. And and just reading through the sample email that that you have in the blog post here, like sort of grammatically speaking, it's it reads very legitimately like the, mm-hmm. you know the, the the grammar and the spelling is it's colloquial but it's but it seems you know pretty legitimate 
the idea of a photographer, a freelance photographer, stumbling upon their images being used without permission. You know, you hear stories of that happening. That seems to be somewhat, you know, plausible, not knowing how to contact the the infringing organization and then therefore going to the generic contact us form. Like this all, this all seems quite plausible. Definitely. And it's also one of those situations where even though, like I said, I do this for a living. So I read this and I was like, there's no way that's legit. But if my job was to be responsible for the email inbox where stuff like this came in, it would be hard for me to weigh the consequences of like, is it more likely that this is like a malicious email or is it at all possible that this is legit? And if I ignore it, my company is going to get sued. Like, I feel like that kind of would give the recipient that, that weird spot of being like, I don't want to infect the company with malware or, you know, I don't want to click on a phishing link if that's what this is. But also if I don't and then we get sued, is it my fault? I just, I, I feel for the recipients and I, I understand why people would be clicking on this one and infecting themselves. And speaking of clicking on, that is the other thing that's included in this email. So that was the last bit of this email that turns this from just being weird slash legitimate to totally malicious. All of the emails contain a link and um, the links themselves are also abusing legitimate infrastructure. So that's the the next bit of abused legitimate infrastructure that just adds that next bit of like believability, if that's a word, to this campaign. It is a word. Okay, good. Believability <laughs> is that the the links, you know, we're if you don't work in security, and even if you do work in security, we're all kind of trained like, oh, check the links, hover over the links and make sure it's going somewhere that you expect and make sure it's not going to like bad site dot bad dot bad or something, you know, but these don't do that. All of the emails contained a sites.google.com link. And I've looked at literally hundreds of these and they all contain um, a different URL, but the same sites.google.com domain. If you click on the link, when you receive the email, it'll take you actually to a legitimate Google authentication page that'll ask you to log in with your Google credentials, which again, every step along the way of this, of the email portion of this, of this attack, the attacker just took extra steps to make it seem as real as possible or to almost like every piece of security advice. I feel like they did that thing. So it seemed more legitimate because it's not a phishing page. It's not like a fake Google page that's stealing your credentials. It's a real, where you would log in with your real Google credentials. Another thing that this does outside of just adding an error of legitimacy to the emails, it also can make it difficult for some security automation products. So a product that would be looking at emails and detonating the links to see if they're malicious. In this case, it would detonate the link and it would land on, you know, a real Google authentication page. And in some cases, it may not be able to authenticate and then it would just mark these as good because it would see what it expected to see. So outside of just seeming legit, it also makes, you know, security products make this think it's more legit as well. But from there, the uh, user would be redirected through a series of attacker owned domains and would eventually download a zip file, which if they unzipped, they would find the iced ID payload. So in this case, it's delivering iced ID, although this technique could be used to deliver other stuff as well. But it's not necessarily surprising that it's delivering iced ID right now because pretty much everything I feel like I'm seeing lately is iced ID. And I don't think I'm alone in that. There's murmurings that iced ID might be replacing Emotet now that Emotet has been taken down in terms of being, you know, the 
annoyingly present malware. <laughs> so this is just one of many delivery methods that we've seen for iced ID malware lately. It's certainly, in my opinion, one of the more interesting ones because in the past we've seen iced ID delivered a lot via email, but um, just delivered via you know, the normal type of malicious email, if you will, with a compromised email sending with a, a zip attachment. This is much more interesting. But in this case, if the user downloaded the payload, the payload would actually do many things. So in this case, it was looking for machine information. It was looking to see what kind of security tools were in place to see what kind of antivirus the machine was running. It was getting IP and system information. It was getting, you know, domain information and also looking to access credentials that might be stored in your browser. And on top of that, it was also dropping Cobalt Strike, which is another fun tool that we see used in every single incident lately, it feels like, um, which means that this can give attacker full control of the compromised device. So what are we doing to help protect customers against ISTID? In the blog, you stated that we are partnering with a couple organizations as well as working with Google. Yes. So we have notified Google of this activity because it is obviously abusing some of their infrastructure in terms of the sites.google.com. And they seem to be doing a pretty good job in terms of finding these and taking them down pretty quickly. A lot of times that I'll see new emails come in, I'll go to, you know, click on the link and see what it's doing and the site will already be taken down, which is good. However, the thing about security is that a lot of times we are playing catch up or like whack-a-mole where they're always just going to be a step ahead of us because we can't pre-block everything that they're going to do. So this is still um, something that we're also trying to keep an eye on from, from the delivery side as well. One thing to note is that since these are coming from legitimate emails that are expected, is that I have seen a fair bit, like a, a few of these that actually um, where the the customers have their environment configured in a way where even if we mark it as fish, it still ends up delivered. So they have a, what is like a mail flow rule that might be like, allow anything from our contact form, which makes sense because they wouldn't want to be blocking legitimate requests from, from customers in their contact form. So with that in mind, we also want to be looking at this from the endpoint. And so we have also written a few rules to identify the behaviors associated with a particular ISID campaign. And it will notify users if the behaviors are seen on their machine, just in case, you know, they have a mail flow rule that has allowed the email through, or just in case the attackers changed their tactics in the email and it didn't hit on our rule anymore or something and a couple slipped through, then we would still identify this on the endpoint. And not to mention those behaviors that the rules are hitting on are before the actual ISID payload is delivered. So if everything went wrong and the email got delivered and Google hadn't taken the site down yet and the behavioral rule missed, then the payload itself is detected as ISID by our antivirus. So there's a lot in the way of protections going in place for this campaign. Emily, I want, I want to be sort of pretty clear here with, with folks listening to the podcast. So, you know, you've, you've mentioned the, the sites.google.com a couple of times and really you're not you're not saying that Google has been compromised or the infrastructure is compromised. Simply that these attackers have uh, have come up with a, a you know pretty potentially clever way of evading some of the detections that Google uh, undoubtedly runs to abuse their their hosting services. But they could just as easily have been targeting OneDrive or some mm -hmm. other cloud storage. That's correct, and we do see you know attackers 
abusing our own infrastructure. We've seen them abusing OneDrive. We've seen them abusing SharePoint. And at Microsoft, we have teams, including my team, devoted to finding when that's occurring and remediating it. And I am sure that Google does too. And like I said, they're doing a pretty darn good job of it. By the time I get to a lot of these sites, they're already down. But as I mentioned, security is is a game of whack-a-mole. And so for from Google's point of view, I don't envy the position they're in because I've seen, like I mentioned, hundreds upon hundreds of these emails and each one is using a unique link. So they can't just outright block this from occurring because the attacker will just go and create another one. So I have a question that's a Related to our earlier discussion, you you mentioned that they're evading the CAPTCHA. I thought that the CAPTCHA was one of the mechanisms in place to reduce spam. Mm -hmm. So how is it doing that? Does this also indicate that we're coming to a point where we need to evolve the mechanisms on the forms to be a little bit more sophisticated than CAPTCHA? I'm not entirely sure how the attackers are doing this because I don't know what automation they're using. So I can't see from their end how they're evading the CAPTCHA. I can just see that some of the websites that I know that they have abused have a CAPTCHA in place. I'm not entirely sure. Emily, is it possible, do you think, that one of the reasons why CAPTCHA is being evaded, and we talked earlier about how the the grammar of these mails is actually quite sophisticated, is it possible this is this is a hands-on keyboard manual attack that there's actually not a lot of automation or maybe any automation? And so this is actually humans or a human going through and they're evading capture because they're actually humans and not an automated script? There was another blog that was released about a similar campaign that was using the abusing of the contact forms and actually using a very similar lore with the illustrators and the the legal gotcha type thing and using sites.google.com that was actually it was very well written it was released by cisco talos at the end of last year um at the end of 2020 so i focused a lot on the the email side of this and what the emails themselves looked like and how we could stop these emails from happening and then also what was happening upon a click so that like i said we could see what was happening on the endpoint and get these to stop this blog actually focused a lot more on the technical aspect of what was being delivered, but also how it was being delivered. And one thing that they noted here was that they were able to see that the submissions were performed in an automated mechanism. So Cisco Talos was able to see that these are indeed automated. I suspected that they were automated based on the sheer volume, but I Talos is very good. They're a very good intelligence organization. And I felt confident upon reading their blog that this was indeed automated. How it's evading CAPTCHA, though, I still don't know. What's next for your research on ICED ID? Does this round out your team's efforts in understanding this particular threat? Or are are you now continuing to review the emails, understand more of the attack? So this is certainly not the end for ICED ID. Through the Microsoft Security Intelligence Twitter account, I put out my team and I put out a tweet just a couple of weeks ago about four different ISD ID campaigns that we were seeing all at the same time. I do believe this was one of them. They don't even seem related. There was one that was emails that contained um, zip files. There was one that contained emails that contained password protected zip files. 
that was targeting specifically Italian companies. There was this one. And then there was one that was um, pretending to be Zoom, actually. And that was even a couple of weeks ago. So there's going to be more since then. So it's something that, like I mentioned briefly earlier, Ice ID almost feels to be kind of, it feels a little bit like people are calling it like a the next wave of replacement after Emotech got taken down. And I don't know necessarily that that's true. I don't know that this will be the new Emotet, so to speak. Emotet was Emotet and ID is ID, But it does certainly feel like I've been seeing it a lot more lately. A lot of different attackers seem to be using it and therefore it's being delivered in different ways. So I think that it's going to be one that my team is tracking for a while just by nature of different attackers using it, different delivery mechanisms. And it'll be it'll be fun to see where this goes. What is it about this campaign or about this particular technique that makes it your Moby Dick, <laughs> if I may use the analogy? I don't know. I've been thinking about that. And I think it has to do with the fact that it is so like, it just feels like a low blow. I don't know. I think that's literally it. Like they're <laughs> abusing the company's infrastructure. They're sending it to like people whose job is to make sure that their companies are okay. They're sending a fake legal threat. They're using legit Google sites. They're using a legit Google authentication. And then they're downloading ICD. Like, can you at least have the decency to send a crappy, like unprotected zip attachment so that we at least know you're malicious? Like, come on. It's just, for some reason, it. I don't know if it's just because it's different or if it's because I'm thinking back to like my days before security. And I, if I saw this email, is this one that I would fall for? Like, maybe... And so I think that there's just something about that and about the the fact that it's making it harder to to fully scope and to really block because we don't want to block legitimate contact emails from being delivered to these companies. And obviously they don't want that either. So I think that's it. What is your guidance to customers? You know, I'm a security person working at my company and I want to go run this query. If I run this, I feel like I'm going to get a ton of results. What do I do from there? It's a good question. So this is um, an advanced hunting query, which can be used in the Microsoft security portal. And it's written in advanced hunting query language. So if a customer has access to that portal, they can just copy and paste and search. But you're right. It is written fairly generically to a point where if you don't have, you know, advanced hunting, you can still read this and search in whatever methodology, whatever you know, searching capabilities you do have, you would just have to probably rewrite it. But what this one is doing, the top one, because I, I have two of them written here. The first one is looking specifically at the email itself. So that regex that's written there is the um, sites.google.com. All of the emails that we have seen associated with this have matched on that regex. There was this morning, like I said, I was talking to a different team that was also looking into this and I'm trying to identify if she found a, a third pattern. If she did, I will update the um, AHQ and we have, we can post AHQs publicly on the Microsoft advanced hunting query GitHub repo, which means that customers can find them if we, if we change them later. And I'll be doing that if that's the case. But point being, this regex, basically, it takes the very long full URL of this sites.google.com and matches on the parts that are fairly specific to this email. So they all contain, you know, some of them contain ID, some of them don't, but they all contain that like nine characters. They all contain view. It's just certain parts of the URL that we're seeing consistently. And that's definitely not by itself going to 
bubble up just the right emails, which is why I have it joined on the email events there. And from there, the I have instructed the users to replace the following query with the subject line generated by their own contacts, their own website's contact submission form. What I have in there are just a few sample subject lines. So if your website contact form generates the subject line of contact us or new submission or contact form, then those will work. But if the website can, you know, contact form, I've seen a, a bunch of different subject lines. Then what this does is that it'll join the two so that it's only going to bubble up emails that have that size.google.com with that specific pattern and a subject line relating to the contact form. And given the searching that I've done, that should really narrow it down. I don't think there's going to be a ton in the way of other contact emails that are using sites.google.com that are showing up for these people. I wouldn't be surprised if this did return one email and it turned out to be a malicious email related to this campaign. But if the contact form generates its own subject line per what the user inputs on the website, then, you know, the screenshots that are in the the blog may help with that, but it might be more difficult to find. In that case, there's a second advanced hunting query there, which we'll find on the endpoint. And I know we're just about at time here, but one quick question on endpoint security. So if a customer is using Microsoft Defender for endpoint, will it identify and stop ICE ID? Yes, it will. The ICE ID payload in this case, we're seeing Defender detecting it and blocking it. And that was what one of the things I was talking about earlier is that Defender is actually doing such a good job that it's a little bit difficult for me to see what's going to happen next because I'm limited to um, seeing kind of what is happening on customer boxes. And so because our products are doing such a good job of blocking this, it means that I don't have a great view of what the attacker was going to do next because they can't because we're blocking it. So it's mostly a win, but it's stopping me from seeing if they are planning on doing you know, ransomware or whatever, but I'd rather not know if it means that our customers are protected from this. Well, Emily Hacker, thank you so much for your time. Thanks to you and Justin for for working on this. Um, We'd love to have you back again on Security Unlocked to learn more about some of the great work you're doing. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we had a great time unlocking insights into security from research to artificial intelligence. Keep an eye out for our next episode. And don't forget to tweet us at MSFT Security or email us at securityunlocked at Microsoft.com with topics you'd like to hear on a future episode. Until then, stay safe. Stay secure. This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Podcast, join us as we dig deep into the XZ backdoor with its finder, Andreas Freund, and senior security researcher Thomas Rochia. Be sure to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.